You're listening to a DM podcast. Guys, my special guest today is Apollo Perellini. Apollo is a legend of both rugby league and rugby union. He's a dual international for Samoa, where he played in the Union World Cup in 91 and also in the League World Cup in 95. He switched to league in 1994, and he's a favorite son of the St. Helens Saints, where he won numerous league titles and also challenged cups, playing to, with the Saints until 2000, switching back to Union and finishing off with the Sale Sharks for four years. Post-footy, Apollo is the high-performance manager at the UAE Rugby Federation. He's a managing director at Apollo Sporting Academy, where he's also previously been the head of trading at St. Helens. Oh, welcome to the podcast. Apollo Perellini, what a bio, mate. Me. Just, it's, it's great to be on. Nah, Lovely. mate, what a bio. That's quite a career, mate, and in both sports as well. But let's kick things off because you're born in Samoa. So before we talk about you guys moving to New Zealand, tell me a little bit about the Perellini family. Yeah, well, I'm one of eight kids. I was the youngest of eight kids. Uh, we, um, we grew up in Samoa. Well, when I mean by growing up in Samoa, I was, well, I was born there, Um and the parents, our parents kind of moved us when everybody else were in their teenage years. I was only about three years old okay. when we moved to New Zealand. So pretty much a, a Kiwi is, is, is such, you know, a, my identity is kind of mixed up. You know, when, when you're living in New Zealand, they kind of look at you as a Samoan. But when you go back to Samoa, they go, you're a Kiwi. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, where you, where you sit. <laughs> Um, but, um, but yeah, I was born in Samoa and, um, and like I said, youngest of eight kids, I was probably the mistake that mum and dad had, you know, they wasn't planned, but, um, I mean, interesting enough, I was, I was born on the night of the launch of the Apollo 11. Yeah. I was going to ask you. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it was the, the one where Neil Armstrong and, um, and Buzz Aldrin and that landed on the moon. So I was born on the actual night of the launch and, and, you know, culturally, um, the, the fathers weren't, you know, in Samoan culture, you know, they, when the, the mother's giving birth, it's normally the aunties that go in and support the mum, uh, whereas the dads kind of sat in the waiting room and just wait for the news. And at the time, there was a transistor radio at the um, hospital in, in Samoa, and it was listening to it, and it was broadcast, and everybody around the village was all kind of gathered around just listening to this transistor radio, the launch of the Apollo mission rocket to, to the moon. And yeah. when it went, you know, dad just thought, what a cool name and, and decided to name me after the rocket. And, uh, yeah, it was cool. I mean, when you're growing up, you want a normal name because you, you feel ostracized because you've got a weird name, you know, and, and I always, for for majority of my life, I used to think that I was named after a Greek god until I found out the truth that my I was named after a rocket. But what made it even mate. worse, say Tristan, is that I got the full name Apollo Eleven. <laughs> <laughs> mate, I tell you what, but I've always loved the name Apollo because my favourite character growing up was Apollo Creed. So, oh. <laughs> yeah. mate, when I saw you, because I used to watch a lot of Super League and they used to put one or two games on, and the first real game when I was growing up that I saw of the English. Super League was the Challenge Cup final where you were the star in 96. So oh, then yeah, you, yeah. you you became my guy when I was watching St. Helens. Paulo Perellini <laughs> was my guy, mate. <laughs> that, was a, that was probably one of my favourite finals ever. I think that's uh, when you mentioned 96, it was, uh, it was one of my favourite finals because I, 
you've always I grew up watching the Challenge Cup all my life in, in, in New Zealand and at the time when Wigan was dominated there was you know Witness was dominating then yep. Wigan um, and then when I finally got there I thought I can't wait to get a chance to play in Wembley and then I got my chance you know two years after signing for St Helens and it was a dream come true and it was it was amazing. The crowd was amazing. And, you know, um, winning it after 20 years of no trophies for the club, you know, it was, it was awesome. Yeah, definitely. We'll touch on it a little bit later in the show. But before we do that, growing up in New Zealand, because rugby union is an institution over there, it is a religion. Did you even know what rugby league was? I kind of did. And it was interesting because, um, you know, growing up with rugby union and, and the area that we lived in, there was rugby league and rugby union. Okay. So um, I had a lot of my mates play rugby league, but I kind of, my best friends were all rugby union mates, uh, boys. And so that's what kind of took me. It all depended on your mates, really. Yeah. And, you know, and, and my, the street where I lived, and you know, we had a lot of um, brother boys from school, and they were all rugby union boys. So um, they dragged me to, to rugby union training, and, and that's how I grew the love for rugby union. Um, rugby league was just down the road, literally half a mile down the road. Um, now, I ended up playing a couple of games for a, a club in Auckland called Glenora. Okay. Glenora, and um, I played with Jared McCracken. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went to school with Jared. Jared and I were the same year at school, and, and yeah, we school, and Crackers was, was awesome, and he used to get me to the club with Glenora, and, and I'll go down there and didn't fully understand the game. But it was a lot easier to play than, well, a lot easier to understand yeah, yeah. than playing rugby union. You know, didn't have the lineouts, didn't have to worry about uh, pushing in the scrums. And but it was a great game. I really enjoyed it. But um, you know, the rugby league culture within the school that I went to, we were one of the top schools in New Zealand for rugby union, uh, Calston, and and and. Um, we ended up, the headmaster was Graham Henry, who was the wow, the All Blacks coach. He became yeah. the All Black coach. So he gave us, he said, You can't play rugby league, you've got to play rugby union. This is a rugby union <laughs> school. So Jeremy Crackett ended up playing for the first 15 at, um, yeah, at school, but then he dropped out because. He's a league through and through. <laughs> yeah. Mate, in terms of, you know, your family, you know, you mentioned you were one of eight. Was anyone else in the family playing rugby union or did your dad play at all? No, no, no. Um, I think it was very different. It was very different at that time of our lives when we moved over there. Mum and dad were very um, driven just to, for a better life for us mm. as a family they were just working, you know, dad would hold two jobs, mum was working as well. Um, my elder sisters were, older sisters were going down to work, my older brother was working. Um, it was only one of uh, one other brother that played rugby. Okay. And uh, it was a good footy player, you know, he, um, but the problem was that, that um, the back then in the 80s, you know, sport was a luxury. You know, it was, it was something you've got to do in your own time. But the, yeah. the um, family time was more about work, you know, um, contributing around the house, contributing to the family, um, you know, whether it be cooking or just whatever. And that, that was a difference when, when 
and we were growing up, you know, very working class. Mum and dad didn't really have time for us, you know, to support anything that we did outside of the family home. So um, it was just me, but my, my one of my brothers did play rugby. But again, he was pressurised to, you know, focus on school and, um, and work. Yeah. Now, recently I've had uh, Nigel Vangana and also David Solomona. Yeah. So two Samoan boys that also, you know, immigrated over to New Zealand and they, they grew. I think they were more central Auckland though. But obviously yeah. Sundays was huge in their family because it was day of faith, religion being huge. Yes. Was that similar to yourself in your family? Absolutely, absolutely. We, we, it was compulsory to go to church. It didn't matter. <laughs> it didn't matter, you know. We, and it was funny because some of our matches were on oh, – our matches were played on, on, on a Saturday, but if we had a tournament, yeah. it would be played over, you know, a, a two days. And you can play on the Saturday, but on the Sunday, no. You know, there was, you know, dad, it was a straight no from dad, you know. It was, uh, um, but you kind of respected that. You, I mean, our culture is all about respect. And, mm. and, and if he said no, then it's a no. You know, we, we don't argue. We don't go back trying to, you know, justify anything. Absolutely. When, when there's a no, there's a no. Yeah. Just, and um, you kind of go back to the coach back then, you know, and just say, sorry, coach, dad said no. <laughs> Apollo, how have you found, like, from the way your parents brought you up, I know you've got a couple of boys now, yeah. do they, do you follow the same standards that your parents? Do they have to have the same rules? No is a no. Is that something very similar? Oh, no. I, I think we, well, I think the, the respect is pretty much there, but uh, mm. we're very um, – I didn't want to rule with an iron rod. Like my dad was very strict, yep. very, very strict, and um, family first and, you know, um, we had to do our chores before we can do anything. You know, before I can go play rugby, uh, if, if the lawn need mowing, has to be mow done. the lawns. Yeah. And I, and I don't care how long it takes, mow that lawn, then you can go to your rugby. That, that was that was as far as mum and dad were concerned. Whereas um, I think for us, we, we really supported our kids. We wanted to be there for our kids. We wanted to, I guess, um, mum and dad, you sort of really um, took a real great leap of faith to move from New Zealand, uh, moving from Samoa to New Zealand. And then, you know, to work out just to give us a better life. Um, we've done the same, you know. We moved from New Zealand to the UK yep. on a professional contract, and then on to Dubai. Why? To give my kids another, you know, another step up the ladder, and again, sort of um, more opportunities for them. So, um, again, I was very accommodating, but they they understood where we stood as a family. They never, they were like, they're exactly like me. If, if I know, if I say no, it's a no. Yeah, they never try nice. and justify it. And it's, and, and that's always been something that I've instilled in my kids that, you know, that there's a reasoning, there's a reason why we say no, you know, um, you know, we don't just say no because we can't be bothered. You know, there's a there's reason, a reason yeah. one sort of the no. And we're normally very easy and kind of accommodating. The boys are now 23 and 20. Wow. And they, you know, um, and they're good, good boys, you know, and they, they actually still respect us. They still, you know, we still talk a lot on the phone and, and, and on Zoom. So it's a, it's a good relationship. 
Beautiful. Are the boys are the boys in Dubai with you, or are they England, New Zealand? Uh, they're in Auckland, New Zealand. They're, they're back in New yeah. Zealand. Beautiful. Yeah. Are they rugby yeah. players or? Yeah, they did. Um, it was interesting when you say rugby for everybody. You always like say rugby boys, and I said, uh, yeah, they were. You know, they grew up in the they grew up in the club environment. Mm. You know, as you know, they saw it. It was interesting. It sort of my my the take that my son takes on is my youngest one sees it that it was always dad's job, and then he grew to love it yep. in order to play it. And now it's his passion, and he plays for Auckland. Um, Age groups. He's um, he's with uh, Blues age groups. Beautiful. Um, so he's come through the ranks and still is in Auckland. Going to university. What's Both it? the boys are going to university. What are they studying? Uh, uh, my youngest one's studying a fine arts degree. Yep. Is a creative, uh, very creative um, person. And my young, my eldest one did a history degree in York University in the UK. Okay. Um, and then. Then came back here and then decided to go and do a IT, um, uh, what you call it, a computer science wow. course in Auckland. So, um, so the brainiac of the family. Yeah, well, they, they you know, like it's, I just keep saying, look, okay, if you want to go down that avenue, yeah, we'll support you as, as long as you know we can, you know. So, um, as far as playing rugby, youngest one's still really passionate about his rugby. He wants to go professional, but he also understands that having balance is going to university, getting yep. a degree, getting, you know, um, having um, a paper paperwork behind him that will get him an opportunity yep. post-rugby. Yep. Um, my eldest one, um, he turned around after about a year in university in the UK and said to me, oh, you're right, Dad, um, I've got something to tell you. And he said... Um, I decided to drop out of rugby, and I went. And he says, "Well, I just thought you might be angry." I said, no. <laughs> "Absolutely not." I said, "No, I'm not." I said, "No, I've never pushed you to play rugby." He said, "I've just accommodated your, you know, and I've um, been here to support you, but I've never pushed you to play rugby." So he understood it, and then he just decided, "No, I don't want to play rugby," and he just does other things. He runs, you know, does a lot of So you know, again, it's it's not. I'm not a pushy parent, but then it's ironic because my parents never watched me play. Wow. <laughs> they never watched me play. You know, I'd, I'd get up and I was captain of, you know, first of the team, won you know, one of the championships, um, made representative teams, you know, uh, played New Zealand schools, played New Zealand in the 20s. You know, that it didn't matter to them. They're, they're like, oh, look. Did you mow the lawns? Yeah. <laughs> that wasn't important to them. It, that didn't feed the family. That didn't put food on the table. That wasn't their priority, you know. And as far as my father was, you know, thought his view on, on rugby was it was a distraction. Yeah. It was a distraction for me getting on with life and getting a profession. That's that's way how he saw it, and and I and I get it, and I get it. You know, it's different now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. But mm. Apollo, biggest thing that I love about you is your defense. You know, you love yeah. contact, and mate, you got named the Terminator for God's sake. So, you know, you're obviously <laughs> good at it. What was it about the contact and defense that you love so much? 
Oh, it's 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 funny, and I, and I still do, and I still do love I love defense. When people talk about defense, I said, "Oh, it's good," you know. And to be honest, I've never had any injuries from defense, from um, you know, from tackling. I've never had a I've never had concussion through tackling. Yeah, um, I've never had any um, shoulder injuries. Shoulders are still sharp, you know. I just loved it. I, I think. Um, I learned early that if I didn't go um, 100% in, in defense and in my tackle, I'm going to get hurt. Yeah. And, and I always say that to people. I said, listen, tackling is an attitude. And if you go, don't, if you go in there with an attitude of 50%, 60 70% attitude that you're going to dominate the tackle, you're going to get hurt. And so, um, and it was out of fear that I got to enjoy um, tackling because I didn't want to get injured. I really Mate, didn't want to get injured. And recently, so, two people have said the exact same things: Nathan Gray and Craig Fitzgibbon, really? and Craig Fitzgibbon as well. The exact oh, words of what you said. So, two absolute legends at their sport, and yourself. Yeah. And obviously, it speaks for yourself because you three are great defenders. And yeah, and, and and that's what people don't, you know, when people go, "Oh, defenses." Um, people were afraid of defending, and and I said, "Well, yeah, you need to turn that fear around and then say, well." Daniel, the reason why you're, you're afraid is because when you stood still <laughs> and absorbing it, and I said, look, and, and I'd rather my – and somebody actually said to me years ago, and he says, do you know, when you tackled those guys in Wales and you, you got called the Terminator, you turned the offense, the defensive tackle into an offensive weapon. Yeah. And I said – Oh, right. I didn't look at it that way. And he goes, yeah, because most people took the tackle to absorb as opposed to me just going out there and just <laughs> absolutely, you know, throwing my body at them. And um, But I, I always thought, you know, this is all about life is advancing forward, you know, and sitting back, you're going to get hurt. And uh, rugby league, oh, I loved it. You know, it was just, an, oh, it's just another level, you know, just another level. Um, I mean, me personally, I said, the question always gets asked, rugby league, rugby union. Yeah. And I and I always say, well, my heart says rugby union because I grew a passion for it. I grew up with the game, you know. I was, it was embedded in me, you know. You can't, you, you fell in love with it, you know. Um, it's like a, um, it's like, you know, you form a bond to that game um, with rugby league. You know, I love it with my head yeah. because this is what you know. It, I, it, it was. I guess the the, the way that I can put it is that um, rugby union was my passion. Yep. Rugby league was my job, and it was you know. And to be honest, I I signed to go to rugby league as a job. Yeah. And you know, and although at the start I didn't look at it that way. But it became that way when I was when I was over in England, you know, and um, and people used to just say to me, "Come on, mate, you're just a commodity. You're yeah. part of the entertainment business." And I'm like, going, uh, "Okay." Wow. <laughs> and, and, and you know, they just told me, you know, you're part of the entertainment business, and you know, you stretch, you recover, you ate as part of your job, you trained as part of your job. They're all part of your job. Yeah. You know, you know, everything you did outside of the rugby pitch had to go towards what you did on the pitch. Yeah. 
So, you know, um, you know, just just the stretching. You know, I used to do stretching at home, you know, just making sure that icing, you know, it was yep. all making sure that I was right next time I went into back into training. So if you look at it that way, I was constantly working, you know, working to make sure that my body was right because my job was that I needed to be right when I got into the field. Yeah. And so um, so the, the, the attitude to the game was that it was my job. However, I always believed that I was a rugby league player playing rugby union. I look at my history and I just think, gee, I was so suited to rugby league and I so loved the game. It was so awesome to play the game, you know. Um, you know, the, the the amount of enjoyment that I got from the game, I'll come off that field and go, gee, that was a good game. Yeah. You know, even when you lose, you know, even when you got battered, you know, you carried the ball. If you want the ball, you go and get it. <laughs> if you want the ball, you go and get it, you know. Um, you know, if it, you know, so the the game was is, is an amazing game. I love it, and uh, and I'm a big advocate of the game. Yeah, apart while it's on my mind, and so I don't forget it. I read somewhere the other day that your first run on for St Helens was against the '94 Kangaroos. Is that true? Yeah, that was my first full game. <laughs> wow, against because that's that's a great because for me waking up in the middle of the night to watch all the club games to watch all the tests. Yeah. In my household, that's what we did, mate. Like, so yeah. for you to play in your first ever run on <laughs> against a great teammate, geez, Meninga, everyone, you oh, know? yeah. Well, there, there, there was, um, I don't think I was going to get picked. I really honestly think that I, I just thought, oh, wow, that'd be great to play against these guys because I've watched them on TV. Yeah. And um, all of a sudden, the coach just came to me and says, um, you're playing loose forward. You gotta have number thirteen on your back. I'm like, go, oh, bit of ball playing there. He goes, no, 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 mate. Just fix yourself in the middle and make the tackles. <laughs> and um, and I remember in, in in that game, I uh, took Harrigan out and I did his knee. Did you? And I think, <laughs> um, and, I, and I think he was injured for the maybe injured for the first test because I, yeah, he took the ball up and I in. Um, I come in from the side and kind of just hit his, hit his knee and um, and poor, poor Harrigan had got uh, got taken off and I like, and I still remember that and I was like I felt guilty because he, these guys came on that here for Test rugby not to play against St Helens so. yeah. <laughs> but um, I, that was a great experience like I said you know um, it was a big buzz you know meeting all those guys you know the um, you know like the heroes. Uh, that some of those players, you know, heroes, like you said, Mal, uh, Big Mal, you know, was there. And we were just chatting because he was he played at St Helens, so it was really good to meet him. And so, um, and interesting, those guys were saying all the best for your career, you know, you know, because they knew that it was you know first game of rugby league, yeah, you know, proper full game of rugby league, you know. So uh, to get that type of feedback and and encouragement from um, those players was, was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> now, now, Paul, you know, we talked about, you know, rugby league being your job. But before you went to league, you know, obviously Union was very amateur. Did you have a job when you played Union? 
Yeah, I was sales. I was working in sales. I worked for a building company. Okay. Did you like it? <laughs> nah. uh, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it's a, play, a, a company called Placemakers. Okay. And um, we were, I was very, very blessed. And I still think back and think that how awesome was my boss who would give me all the time off, paid. And back then, it was unheard of. It was unheard of. And he was a... He was, he was a rugby supporter and he knew the importance and um, uh, that rugby was to me, but also because I was representing my country and also representing the province of Auckland and North Harbour, yep. um, he, he understood, he got it. And he says, look, whenever you need to go. So I was, he's giving me time off to go physio and all that. This is prior to being professional. So, um, so yeah, I worked in sales. Um, you know, and a lot of, a lot of the, you know, you, you workmen, you know, all your tradies, tradies will come in and, and they'll order, you know, extra stuff just to come in and hang Have out. Chat. And, then, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 and it was funny because, um, you know, rather than them going to the, the other uh, building company down the road, those, they'll always come over because all they want to do is, you know, just talk rugby. And, um, yeah, so I, 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 um, I was working in sales there for, uh, I think, four or five years. Wow. <laughs> Apollo, now the under-21s, the game that you played, curtain raiser to Australia and France in Sydney at the SFS. Yeah. Now, you talked yeah. about before your family not really watching you play as you grew up. Mm. But they ended up being at that game, right? Absolutely. Yeah, man, you're good at this. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yes, yes. Um, that it- Mum had never come to any game, and mum had never ever said, you know, come to a rugby game. I think dad only came to one game ever um, in my whole rugby career prior to that that evening. So we were curtain raisers um, against the Australian under twenty ones, and I didn't even know they were in Sydney. Yeah, but you know, then I looked in the crowd. And my cousin was shouting. He was waving his hands. Up. It was um, during the warm up, so I kind of jogged over there, and sort of realised, oh, it's my cousin, you know, because he's shouting my name. Yeah. And then I looked, and he goes, "Look, he's up there." And he was pointing up, and he showed me mum and dad, and mum and dad were just waving. And I was like, <laughs> going, I couldn't believe it. You know, goosebumps just went. You know, I just, you know, couldn't. I said, "This is not right." What are they doing? First of all. What are they doing in Sydney? <laughs> and then what are they doing in my game? You know, and um, but they were just over visiting and uh, visiting some family members, and um, and my cousin decided that um, they needed to come and watch the game, and um, and he knew that they had never come to watch me play, you know, and um, and to be honest, Dad was pretty proud, you know. Um, Mum still thinks it was, you know, what are you doing? <laughs> and whereas uh, dad was, was was pretty proud that oh that I was rep- not because I was representing New Zealand, it's just because I was playing in such a huge stadium. amazing yeah. stadium. That's what he was at. He, he he wasn't really concerned with I was representing New Zealand. It was more about just playing in such a, a, a great occasion. How did that so, change the game for you? Because you know they didn't come to your games before, but this is the most yeah. significant moment in your career at that point. And yep. now they're there. 
How did that kind of like make you feel? Oh, I thought, yeah, I thought it was, it was, it was an odd feeling because, it, you know, when we went back home, it went back to normal. You know, dad wasn't still, wasn't interested in watching the games. Yeah. Um, until, but this is it. It was, it made me realize that it wasn't so much the sport. It was more of who you're representing. Okay. You know, um, it wasn't the sport. It was more who you represented. So um, when I got selected for um, Samoa, uh, made myself available for Samoa for the 91 World Cup, mm. um, he was so proud. That was a different level. That's when he all, you know, and that made me realise that it wasn't the sport that he wanted to support. It was just, it, it was, it didn't, he couldn't relate to it playing for New Zealand. He couldn't relate to it because it had nothing to do with him. You know, yeah. nothing that comes back to him and his culture. You know, you know, it wasn't until I, you know, put on, said I was going to represent Samoa at the 91 World Cup. That changed everything for him. And it changed everything for me. Yeah. You know, that I really felt supported then. And, and um, but I was res- really respectable of, of how dad was. And I, and I get it, and I get it. <laughs> Mate. <laughs> and um, now I know why we felt that way. Yeah. That, that one you just, you know, the 91 World Cup we you just mentioned, amazing tournament for Samoa. Like yeah. uh, I, I interviewed Michael Liner and he still doesn't know how he got out of that, that 9-3 that they beat you by. <laughs> wow. No, wow, because everyone thought the Wallabies would absolutely cane you. But yeah. No, nah, but how did you guys how much? How many weeks before the World Cup did you get to prepare, and what was it that brought you such a as such a close knit team? Yeah, uh, the we got together about uh, three weeks prior to the, the the World Cup. Only three weeks. We met. Yeah, yeah, three weeks here in, in, in uh, sorry in New Zealand. We kind of got into a camp, and then it was first. It was just all the New Zealand based players that got together. And then we had to wait for the Samoan boys to come over from the from the islands, and then we got we then we trained from there before going to the World Cup. And again, you know, it was a great experience in the sense of the we weren't as tight when we went over there um, as we'd like to be. Mm. It wasn't until it was about a couple of days before because it was. A lot of bickering within the the, uh, the team, and um, and it's always got to do with money. <laughs> Unfortunately, As it does. <laughs> and and so um, we um, for the for the whole time we were there, there was such a massive division, and then all of a sudden we just had a heart to heart about two days out from the Welsh game, and there was a there's some tears, you know. Um, Shared, you know, grown men, and we just hugged and, and we said, "Listen, this is it. It's do or die. This we're here for one reason only, and that's to represent our country. No one knows who we are. No one knows who we are. People just think that we're just turning up just to make the numbers. The great thing about that team was we can play rugby. Yeah, we may not have been good at set pieces. We weren't. We weren't as yeah. We weren't uh, technically." Um, Accurate in, in the lineouts, uh, our scrums were were slightly weak, but in the sense of skill sets across the park, um, everybody was, you know, we could we could use the ball 
well. You know, our props could could run and, and draw and pass him. Plus, and they, they, you know, the props and locks, they all want to be kickers. They all want to chip kick. They all want to throw 20-metre, you know, spiral passes. Yeah. But, but the – and I think this is what – and I always talk about this with coaches, and I said you've got to allow – you've got to allow for creativity. And you've got to allow for for players just to rather than be controlling and to you know you have a structure, but that structure just gives you um, a roadmap. But within that road, yeah. you know you can do whatever you like. You know as long as you you know stick to the road, but you can do whatever you like within that um, within those parameters. And that was our roadmap. You know, okay, we do this here, do this here, do this here. How you do it? <laughs> It's up to you, you know, you can use the ball. And, and we play with a lot of freedom, and that's what the Welsh couldn't get. They couldn't understand the uh, the way that we played was, hold on, we're so used to a bit of structure here. Yeah. Normally you would kick it at that point. <laughs> yeah. No one's kicking the ball. No one's kicking the ball out, you know. No one's going to the line-outs. And, uh, you know, we were doing everything at 100 miles an hour. We were throwing the ball in quick, you know, trying to get, you know, um, doing short lineouts because we couldn't win with a with a full lineout, <laughs> so um, we changed the game and, and our and our team was so tight and and after that first game against Wales when we won that game you know the team got tighter because it put someone on the map mm. and I always say that and, and even uh, you know um, some of my um, family members who have been ambassadors. For Samoa, um, he said, "Man, what you guys did in in one tournament, we couldn't do as ambassadors or consulates <laughs> over a century." <laughs> so, so the you know just to put the the the, the island of Samoa uh, and put a face to yeah. to the to the islanders of Samoa, you know. So that was the that was really very um, important to us, and, and you know that was one thing that we got out of the World Cup. Playing against Australia, um, we we had players who had played for Manly, um, played in, in, in Australia and played in Sydney, and plus um, I knew a few of the players, uh, yeah. you know, coming up through the ranks through um, the schoolboys, and um, well, you know, I knew Jason Little, I knew uh, Tim Horan, uh, and um, those guys, Johnny Hill. So mm. you all were all the same age, so we're all kind of. Ah, I don't know these boys, you know, this, yeah. <laughs> and um, and so that um, we weren't afraid of Australia in, 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 because they were our neighbours. It was like playing against the All Blacks. Ah, we just go out there and just, just have fun, and, yeah, yeah, just tap them up. And um, and to be honest, it, it was I think the weather wasn't you know con, you know it wasn't conducive to a. a, a an open game, so it was really tight, and you know, and I think we just we played really, really well that day. And Nick Far Jones did his knee on that day, and we thought that he was going to be out. I was feeling sorry for Nick at the time. I thought um, he was he was a good guy, and yeah. you know, again, a great man of rugby for Australia. So we we. We personally didn't, didn't want him to miss out. <laughs> nah, definitely. <laughs> Which he didn't. Nah. Hey, Apollo, what was it like? Because, you know, the state-of-the-art stadiums these days, they're like a bloody Hilton Hotel. So being an away team is not that hard. But back in those days, when you have to play Wales in Wales, Scotland in Scotland, 
in their stadium, sometimes they don't even put the, the hot yeah. water on. Like, what was it like having to go into their backyard, mate? Oh, well, that wasn't too bad. And I think back then, you know, because uh, it was a World Cup, I think they, they, were, they, were, um, they had to accommodate for us. <laughs> um, the, it was really different. I think it was interesting because the treatment we got, and, and I say this, we stayed in a, like, a, like a travel lodge okay. in Wales. It was it was like a travel lodge in Wales when we were playing against Wales, and after we beat Wales, and after we we you know lost to um, Australia nine three, and we thrashed um, Argentina. By the time we got to Scotland, man, we had the flat one of the flashiest hotels in the. <laughs> it, it just showed the respect you got. You got upgraded. Yeah. You know, the, the, and, we're just like going, yeah, it's amazing how we've got shoved into that small hotel in, in Cardiff when we played in our first game. And then all of a sudden they went, oh, okay, Samoa in the quarterfinals. We've really given them a, a decent hotel. <laughs> <laughs> what what happened by that point? Were you guys just out of steam by the quarterfinal? Um, the, the the thing was the um, – it was the game plan. Um, the – that Scotland played. They played a little bit tighter. Mm. They played a little bit tighter. They, um, you see, when we played against Wales, Wales didn't know what sort of game plan we were coming with. When we played against Argentina, Argentina tried to play our game thinking, oh, they play an open game. Let's play an open game with them. Yeah. And they couldn't, they couldn't sustain it or they couldn't, um, they couldn't match the way we played. And it kind of worked against them, you know, because they were trying to run everything. The same as we did. We're like going, hold on, you've got one of the best lineouts, you've got one of the best scrums in the world. Why aren't you capitalizing on this? Instead, all you're wanting to do is trying to play an open game against us, and it didn't work. When we came against Scotland, they did their homework, and um, and when I talked to um, Ian McGeekin um, later on about it, and years later, I, I spoke to the, their coach, and he says, No, we went away and, and really thought about how you guys played, how we can just really lock you down. Mm. And one of them was try and keep the ball away from you, but keep it tight and try and hold on to position. Because when I look back at the game, every time they lost position, we counterattacked. Yeah. We didn't kick it. <laughs> and and I think that was where, you know, people talk about the the how teams counterattack now. They said, well, Samoa have been doing it. Samoa, Fiji were doing it, you know, oh, way back, back then. Yeah, yeah. That um, every time the Scotland dropped the ball or there was a knock on, um, and, the, and and the referee was just a play on advantage, um, we just used the ball. The ball just went from one side, one end to the of the field to the other, and it was, and that's the way we played it because that's the only way we knew how to play it. And, but Scotland really did keep it tight, and they frustrated the life out of us. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Now, you know, we briefly said it, you know, you moved over to rugby league to obviously start a career. Now, when, you know, you, you obviously signed with St. Helens, but what were the options for you to, in rugby league? Oh, uh, there's a few options. Um, you know, there's um, uh, there was the my agent said, um, 
there was Leeds, there was Wigan. Yep. Um, I think there was maybe in Hull as well. Um, you know, the my agent was um, the guy who was quite um, had a quite a quite signed on um, quite a few players, um, rugby union players like Tuigamala, yep. Craig Guinness. So he kind of knew the um, the layout of the land. Um, but prior to that, it's funny. The year before that, um, um, I almost signed with Manly. What in <laughs> Sydney? Wow. <laughs> yeah, with um, I. Um, not a lot of people know that. And is that uh, I? I was working. I go back to when I was working at Placemakers. I get this phone call, and I'm. And guy on the end of the phone says, uh, "I apologize, uh, it's Graham Lowe here." And, and I'm like going, "Get lost!" And I started, you know, effing and blinding, you know, thinking it was one of my mates. Yeah. <laughs> and he goes, "Ah, uh, uh, apologize, Graham Lowe." And I'm like, "Oh, uh, like Graham Graham Lowe, like Graham Lowe." The he said, "Yeah, yeah, Graham Lowe, yeah, yeah." And so we organised a, a, a meeting and we met. One of the hotels just over the shore, over the Harbour Bridge, and um, and we we're just talking about um, moving to to Manly. Uh, what are my thoughts of playing rugby league for Manly? And um, and I spoke to Matthew Rich, so he got Matthew Rich to speak to me. Matt, wow. Matthew, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I played played rugby with Matt. I played at the same club with Matt um, through when when he was in rugby union, and um, so. So that was, was that discussion kind of happened back back then. It was ninety three. Wow! Can you imagine? You could have been Cliffy Lyons to Apollo Perolini, mate. Oh, imagine that! Oh, playing with the Cliffy. Cliff. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So um, yeah, I, I, like I said, almost almost signed there, and um, the only reason why I didn't sign is because my um, my mother was sick okay. and and she wasn't well and. At the time, I was just there was too much going on, and so I, I just decided, look, it's, it's just going to be a more distraction. So I turned it down, and then a year later, um, that opportunity came up, but it was in the UK, and so I decided, well, yeah, why not? And my mother at the time said, listen, I've already stopped you from going once. I'm not going to stop you again, and. And she just gave me her blessings and said, you have to sign. You yeah. have to go. Um, and she she just knew that um, me going to rugby league and that it is my job was the best thing ever for her as a mother, you know, that that was dying. You know, that was her. She felt blessed that, that I was going, going on and, going to achieve some of that my goals and, and dreams. And so, yeah, so she she was really supportive then. Oh, but fantastic. the original offer of that Manly, um, no, she wasn't. <laughs> Just with Graham. Graham coached you at the World Cup in 95, right? He did. He did. Yeah, yeah, cool. Was that the only time yeah. you guys worked professionally together? Yes. Yeah. What was he that like? Was what was he like he as a coach? Cool. He, yeah, he was really, really good. Um Again, Graham sort of said, oh, yeah, you should have come to league. <laughs> you, would have, you would have been good in league. And, and like I said, right at the start of um, the podcast is that, you know, I still believe that I'm, I was built for rugby league. I was built for rugby league. I'm probably better suited 
to rugby league than than the rugby union. And and you know when I when I look and I reflect back to my career, and I just think, gee, I love rugby league. Gee, I was, gee, I was better at rugby league than rugby union. <laughs> Apollo, you know, in terms of training, because both games physical, like they look similar, but really the physical demands are a lot different. Speeds are different. What did you have to change in terms of your training to adjust to rugby oh, league? The, um, I think what people don't realise is how hard rugby league players work. Um, the When I first went over to to um, St Helens, now I was playing open side flanker, and in open side flankers, you've got to be fit, you've got to be everywhere. Mm. And you're one of the fittest in, 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 the, um, in your team. And, and I always pride myself as being, you know, one of the fittest. And I and I trained a lot. And when I mean I trained a lot, I, I, I'd run a lot. And I'd do a lot of interval stuff. And I'd do a lot of hill work. And uh, where I grew up in Auckland, there's a lot of hills everywhere. There's <laughs> hills everywhere. Just, and, and I always do a lot of hill work just to, you know, keep well conditioned. When I went to St. Helens, I was in the back of the line. I was <laughs> on all the runs. And I was like going... Uh, this is unreal. I can't believe how far back I am. <laughs> and um, it was it was hard. It was very, very hard. The demand and training um, regime, because I've never been a professional rugby player before, and I was training every day. And I got there just in time for pre-season, and we were training pretty much every day in weight training. Now, weight training, I was like, I probably... When I was playing rugby union, I was probably only weight training once or twice a week. Yeah, but four or five times a week was another level. And um, and then you know going out in the afternoons, running again, you know, and then contact stuff with you know part of preseason. I've um, it was the toughest training I've ever experienced. I, I thought. Is this just the Marines or is this rugby league? Not <laughs> <laughs> like an SAS soldier. <laughs> this is unreal. <laughs> but um, playing the game, yeah, I see the reason why you trained that hard. You know, you, the the it was all about attrition. You know, you had to be you had to be fit. You had to be strong. You know, and that game was just to another level. And I I knew. After my first game, well, I had a first sort of warm-up game that no, I was nowhere near where I should be to play this game. Yeah, I was fit enough to play rugby union a full eighty minutes, <laughs> but I was nowhere near to put together twenty minutes on rugby league, and that that's how tough it was when I when I originally. I mean, rugby union's come a long way; it's moved because it's you know now professional, but back then, no way. Yeah. Now, Apollo, you know, St. Helens have a very rich history of winning. Who was the person that maybe told you or taught you about the culture within that club? Um, the when, when I first joined, um, like I said, the, the, the winning trophies wasn't a habit for St. Helens. They had previously, you know, in years before, like I said, you know, um, and we hadn't won a major trophy for a long time. And a guy called Bobby Gilding. Mate, I spoke to him this morning. He sent me 10 pictures of his backyard because I asked him <laughs> if he was obsessed with his garden. 
<laughs> yeah, it was Bobby. Bobby was probably one of my biggest influences in, in, in the game back then. Because he, Bobby being the experienced uh, player that he was, he took me under his wing and said, buddy, I'm going to make you a good rugby league player. You know, he understood where I come from. Yep. Yeah, he got it because he's been to New Zealand. You know, he got befriended by the, the, the one of the big Mongol mob gangs here in New Zealand after his <laughs> after his case. <laughs> but um, but it was Bobby Goulding really changed the culture. Really changed the culture for me personally. I, I really believe he did because he really got the team around around him to say, "Boys, this is where we want to go." You know, he brought the culture of winning, brought the culture of hard work. Bobby was one of those guys where he would lead from the front, you know. Um, he every every training session he was always in the front. He'll come he'll come early and he'll leave late. And so you kind of you that kind of interested me because I said, This is what rugby league professionals do. You know, they come here with an excellence, you know, to, to perform um, at the highest level. And so I um, I take on to Bobby and I saw his work ethic and that rubbed off on me and, and that got me going. And I knew that if I hung around with this guy, maybe not outside of the – not off the pitch, but on the pitch, <laughs> hang around with him on the pitch, I'm going to be a um, – I'm going to be a good player, you know. I really believe that I'll, I'll you know, I'll succeed in this game, and um, and he did, you know. And I worked hard, and he basically taught me where I needed to be running, what my job should be, you know. As much as I had coaches around me, he knew that where um, I needed to be because he wanted to use me. He says, "Mate, you just run that line. I'm going to use you all day." And I went, okay, I'll yeah. run that line all day. <laughs> but it's even just simple stuff like the 96 Challenge Cup when he just drops you back inside and you stra- yeah. straight down, you know, he just saw the space, he knew where he needed you, and then you, yeah. it's game over. Exactly. And the, um, I came out of that season with uh, as uh, top four tries. I think I had scored 12, 13 tries in that season. 13. You have to give back your prop card, mate. They would have kicked you out of the club. <laughs> and um, and a lot of it was off him just directing, you know, telling me, you know, the first two years he was literally just saying, listen, I need you hitting that line. I need you hitting that line. Come to me on the third. He'll say, he'll actually tell me which tackle he needed me on. He'll tell me. He'll actually, it was, it was almost like script. And he goes, listen, let everybody else carry the ball over the first three tackles, coming on the fourth. Okay. Okay, coming on the fourth. And I'm like going, okay, okay. So I'd literally be standing there counting, you know, the tackles one, two, okay, I'm ready now. And that was Bobby. He taught me how to play rugby league, you know. And then after the, on, on the, you know, partway through the second and third year, I was on my own. You know, I knew when I needed, I knew when where I, where I was needed. I knew the lines, the timing, you know, and... But like I like said, you know, was, he taught me um, a lot about the game and a lot about my position. And you need people like that. You need leaders that are actually 
go out of their way just to support you, you know, especially when you're a new player in the game. And Bobby was was that guy. You know, another guy was a uh, uh, Chris Joint. Chris yeah. Joint also played for um, played for Great Britain, played for England. He was a second rower for England. Um, he played for Newcastle. Too, another, I remember. Yeah, yeah. And that's the great thing. When and that created a culture. And when we won our first Super League, um, uh, so the Challenge Cup, that set off that chain reaction of of a belief. We had a belief system. We had a culture now of hard work where everybody um, knew um, what Saints was all about. When you came, when new players came into the club, they came and whatever level they were at, they had to lift that standard. Yeah. They had to come to, to the standard that was set. And we, we maintained that for the whole time that I was playing. Um, and, and that culture was all about hard work. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, Paul, you played a few, you know, obviously ch- uh, Challenge Cup finals at Wembley. Prior to the game being started and you having to, that, those last few minutes in the dressing room and then you walking out onto the pitch, can you, mm. can you explain that sort of feeling? Yeah. It's, I don't know about uh, any other rugby league, but it, it's the worst feeling in the world. You don't I like it? Wow. Were you nervous? Yeah, I'm always nervous every game. <laughs> what would you do? Because I spoke to uh, old. His name's John Doyle. He used to play for the Cowboys and he used to play for Queensland today. Yeah. And he got so yeah. nervous, he would vomit, and he would also yeah. itch his ears, where he would nearly rip his ears off. Yeah. What What would you do? Oh man, I, the we, we talk about it. You know, your nervous pee. Yeah. I always felt like I needed a pee, even <laughs> to the moment I was literally going out. I'm like thinking. So I just go, just, just stand here, just, just to get this last bit out. There's <laughs> Pete, but um, you know, and people, and 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 then people always say you're nervous. I said every game. Doesn't matter whether you're playing in front of five thousand or eighty-five thousand. I was always nervous. You know, always nervous. They, those nerves are what drives you. You know, and and. Unfortunately, that's probably that's that's one of the biggest things that I miss now. Yeah. I used to hate it at the time. I used to, say, uh, I used to it, it really used to just you know, it feels like it wears you out. But that's it really that's what the, the, that drives you. It's uh, it's those nerves that really drives you um, in the game. You know, um, and you feel like you're hyperventilating some sometimes. And when you run out and you know that the camera's on you, you kind of hold your breath. <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> I got to look good for this, um, but yeah, and, and um, yeah, and it, it is. Uh, I was never, I was always nervous um, every game, and um, and they're good nerves. And now when I reflect on my career, I said, you know, they were nerves of me going to work. Yeah, that was me going to, you know, going to do my trade, going to do my my job. This is me going to business, and. You know, I always, and it wasn't until later on, you know, when, when you see the movie Gladiator, when, you know, when Russell Crowe, and when they go out, you know, and they go, yep, they were nervous, and the guy was peeing his pants. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, and I was thinking, yeah, yeah, I know what that feels like. But <laughs> it's that sort of nerves that you go out, you're going out there to fight. You're going out there to battle. And, and, um, and if you, and I feel that if you're not nervous going to, to there, then 
I don't think I'll, I'll do the job as well, yeah. you know, because, you know, I, I knew that was my job and I needed to do my my job, my responsi- uh, my responsibilities. Um, I needed to do it and do it well. And that's why I was nervous all the time. Yeah. Did, did you, <laughs> I love that question. Did you, did you have a preference from, because obviously being a prompt front row, you have to be at the back to, re- if you receive the ball, you could be first hit up. At the same yeah. time, with nerves, it might be not bad to actually try and put a hit on. Like, which one did you prefer? Yeah, um, that's it. <laughs> I, I like uh, I like to catch the ball and, and bring it up. The if I didn't get a carry in the first in the first two um, uh, first two sets, I was worried. Okay, I was worried. I needed a carry. I needed a carry. Needed to carry, um, and I needed a hit. So, if we're kicking off, I needed to be in that first set of six of one of the. And then it's funny when you go out to like the stadium, and I guess everybody would understand that you know, playing and, and that sort of cauldron. You know, you walk out into Wembley, you walk out to Old Trafford, you know, there's thousands of cheering, you know, you're all nervous, and you know, you butterflies all over the place. And after the first minute, after you've made a few tackles, you could be in the car park. <laughs> <laughs> Everything just becomes a blur then. <laughs> you know, you're, you're just, you're in it, you're in the game, you know, and you're not worried about the, the crowd, you know, everything. All you're worried about is that guy that's running at you at 100 miles an hour. <laughs> and, um, you know, and, and it's funny, and I always say that, and I said, look, after the first fight, after, by the time you get to about five or six minutes into the game, you've done back-to-back sets of six and you're blowing out of your backside, <laughs> you could be anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> you could be anywhere. <laughs> you know, so, um, so yeah, the, the nerves quickly go after your first two, two tackles. Yeah. Apollo, you finished your rugby league career with a grand final win before you move over yeah. back to sale. Was that... At that time, did you know that you were leaving? Like, was this pre? Had you already signed a contract with Reunion before that? Yes. Yeah. So, um, what had happened is that the um, I always knew that I was going to go back to rugby union, and like I said in the start of the podcast, is that um, um, my passion was always rugby union, mm. and um, but. I love rugby league. I think it's such an amazing game, and I was built for rugby league. And, Space for both, mate. Space for both. Yeah, exactly. But I, I always sort of made a vow that I'll I'll finish my career playing rugby union. Yep. You know, and and so um, by the time I got the, the got to about nineteen ninety nine, um, I spoke to the owner of um, St. St. Helens and I kind of said, look, I'm probably going to look to retire from rugby league. And he said, I'll give it one more year. <laughs> I said, okay, I'll give it one more year. So I played in 2000 and, um, and just saw 2000 through and, and, um, and it was one of my favourite seasons. Again, it was one of my favourite seasons. But I always knew that I was going to return and I knew that I was going to give my 120% to the team all the way to the end. Um, and that 2000 grand final was, you know, was just the, the best send off you can ever have, you know. And it was interesting because, like, 
one of my best friends is Jason Robinson. Yeah. And so Jason was playing for Wigan at the time. And I said, and I remember uh, ringing him up the, the day before, and I said, tomorrow one of us is going to be crying. And it ain't me. <laughs> you know, it's amazing that it ain't me. There's, there's not, you know, dual internationals in terms of people that have made it to the top in both league and union. You know, there's yourself, Jason, Matty Rogers, Lottie Takiri, yeah. Wendell Saylor. That's just off the top of my head. But it is an amazing accomplishment for you to reach the pinnacle in two sports. Yeah. I mean, I, I always I, – I take it for granted. And, and it's not until, you know, people like yourself, uh, Tristan, and, and other, uh, other friends who have also mentioned that. And I, I kind of think – I guess it was um, it was just a career. It was it was part of that journey. Mm. It really was just part of that journey, and um, and I'm really grateful for that journey. And I felt really privileged to have taken that journey to play two great sports at the highest level. Um, you know, I it's it's a real blessing, and and I look back and I think, you know, wow, I, I did do a lot. You know, and when I look at the medals and the medals that I achieved in, in rugby league and all the uh, um, super league rings that um, that are in a shoebox down underneath the bed, <laughs> you kind of think, yeah, we did. I did do. Um, I did myself proud. I, that's all I can say is that uh, I've had a very successful career and had a fun one. And and that journey was, I guess, I. You know, I sometimes thank my, my parents and I, I thank my parents for the opportunity they, they provided for me. Mm. I, if I'd grown up in Samoa, I don't know what I would be doing, you know, yeah. what I've done in, in the islands. You know, there's a lot of potentials and, you know, kids who never get that opportunity in the islands. And mm. um, it was because we moved to New Zealand that um, I was able to play the game and then eventually grow up and, and, and move abroad. And um, but I look back and, and, and think, you know, yeah, I'm glad I did make the, that change. I did, I had no regrets on signing to rugby league. You know, people go, oh, you could have stayed on because rugby union did move into the professional um, era in 1995. You know, you could have got a contract, you could have, you know, played a lot more for Samoa, you, know, you could have, could have, could have, could have, a lot of stuff. But I said, no. Nah. I said my career in rugby league was probably the the best I could ever have. Yeah, and and I'm no regrets, and I, and I've loved the people that I've met. the The game is so amazing, and and it's interesting. I was just talking about this just the other day with my wife, and I said it's amazing how it went from rugby union. Now rugby union is very um, has this, this sort of. Um, White collar culture. Yeah, they do. You know, we have speeches. You know, and um, you, you you get together after the game. You um, in the club rooms. You have um, speeches and you have a meal together with the opposition. Um, and you thank them, thank the referee and all that. Went to St Helens. You play the game. Got in the change room. Got all this stuff. Went and got your wife and kids from the um, uh, from the bar. You <laughs> <He> went home. <laughs> Way different. Just, way different. You just went out and got, did your job. And that's why I said you just went out there and did your job. But like I said, you know, it was the best job I ever had. Definitely. <laughs> now, final question I need to ask you. 
I had Scully on last year, and Paul told me about the back end of his career. He credits a lot of his ability to get on the field to yourself. Now, there's one, obviously, with the World Club Challenge, when he was literally no chance of playing in this game. But you worked him over and over. Can you tell me about that little time that you had with Paul? Yeah. um, Knowing um, my career through injuries and knowing what your body is able to achieve if your mind put if you can, if you put your mind to it, and I knew where Paul's mind was. He he really wanted to be on that field, and um, I said to him, you, "You want to play?" And he goes, "Definitely." And I said, "Okay, it's going to take a little hard work." He goes, "Well, bring it on." And I said, "Okay." Yeah, so my commitment to him was that this is what we need to do. You need to commit to it, and he did, and we worked hard and and. <clears throat> and Paul is one of the hardest working players I know. You know, he's he, he'll give out 120% in the gym, 120% on, out on the field. When, when it comes to fitness, he's he prides himself on his fitness, and and I knew he wanted to be on that field. And, and um, people said, "No, nah, you you won't you, you won't get on that field." And um, I said to him, "Let's prove them wrong." You know, and we had a lot of fun, mm. and. It grew our relationship, and, and we became really good friends. You know, out of, although I played, you know, with Scully and um, played alongside with, uh, and also worked with him and coached with him, I coached him, and our relationship became you know really close because we we achieved something together. You know, not just playing wise, but we we achieved a, a, one of our little goals that we set for each other. You know. It was my responsibility to get him on the field, and it was his um, his work ethic that was going to get him there. And so, um, yeah, good guy. Yeah, <laughs> One of the best players I've ever played with. Yeah, I think so as well. Now, Apollo, final question. Now, it's just my dinner party question. you got five invites to a private dinner party. Now, only rules, no family or friends, but you can invite anyone, <laughs> dead or alive. Who would Apollo yeah. Porolini like to invite to dinner? <laughs> Neil Armstrong? Yeah. Neil Armstrong, Nelson Mandela, uh, yeah, definitely, and um, and um, Muhammad Ali. Uh, growing up, you know, and watching him um, throughout his boxing career, you know, and again, someone that just set goals and really went out there, irrespective of everybody else, and, and achieved his goals. Um, Elvis Presley. Oh, I'm a mad Elvis fan. Wow. I went to I went yeah. to mate. I've been. Have you been to Graceland? No, never. It's beautiful, mate. Oh. It's like Memphis. Yeah, I wouldn't be staying there too long. But in terms of like what to do in Memphis, <laughs> like Graceland is, yeah. mate, it'll blow you away. Like that's how cool it is. Oh, no, he was, he he is my musical idol. He's uh, yeah, he is he is one person that. Um, when I when I was I tell you this, when when I was a kid, I had my hair greased up all the way back. I had Elvis hairstyle all, all my life. Every Samoan growing up had Elvis hairstyle, okay. and I had you know a pair of fears. We all wanted to be Elvis, you know. Had the had the cassette, had the CDs. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, yeah, Elvis Presley, and um, oh, just 
show thing now. And uh, that's four. I've done four so far. That's pretty quick. Um, you know what? Now, now I think about oh. it. I always thought I go, Apollo's always real cool hair. I go, now I know why, because you're a bloody Elvis fan. <laughs> hey, just to, uh, I thought I was a giveaway when I moment I said that. <laughs> yeah, no, because like I've always thought about it. I go, right, Roa, this bloke's got the best hair. Like, what, what is going on? <laughs> I did go through. A, I did go through a period where I did shave it. I, I shaved my hair. It was, it was a day. A mate of mine get, uh, had a bit with the mate and said, "I bet you won't shave your hair." Because yeah. because he knew that I always loved my hair, and I always and he said, "I bet you won't shave your hair." And then I had to wait for my wife to go to New Zealand on one of her holiday trips, and I just thought, "You know, I'm going to cut my hair." <laughs> 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 but um. Yeah, uh, I was trying to think who, who else I can have in my dinner table. Um, but um, the, oh, yeah, um, <laughs> oh, Ben Johnson. Ben Johnson. Why did he do that for? Ben Johnson, 100 meters. <laughs> why, did, why did you do that for? And uh, yeah, that interesting. It was, uh, you know, I, I, I love these athletes because they work hard mm. and, and, and I, don't think he needed to do the drugs to, to, to you know, to, to achieve what anyway. he did. Yeah. Yeah. It was unbelievable. You know, Absolutely. you know, um, but yeah, but Nelson Mandela's one of, you know, what he's gone through and what he's achieved yeah. in life, you know, it's, um, yeah, it's someone to admire. Yeah. yeah. For sure, mate. Well, Apollo, I really want to appreciate, mate. Thank you so much for your time, for the stories. You're a legend, man. So all the best to you and your family and keep doing what you're doing, brother. Thanks, Tristan. I really appreciate it. Thanks for the time. It was uh, really, really uh, great fun. I loved it. Yeah.